Welcome to the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast, the podcast that helps you find solutions for your weight concerns that will last a lifetime. You've got this. This podcast contains general educational information on weight loss for physicians. I am not providing medical advice and listening to this podcast does not create a physician-patient relationship. This podcast does not replace the need for consultation with a licensed professional and no information should be relied upon unless you have obtained specific advice or treatment from myself or another physician. Please review the terms and conditions located at www.weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca before continuing. Welcome to episode 98 of the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Siobhan Key. Thanks for joining me. Guys, I have to tell you that I have spent all day today working on and building new content and new videos for Stress Eating SOS. Now, if you haven't heard of this yet, Stress Eating SOS is my group program that is made specifically for physicians that deal with stress eating. So if you are a physician and you deal with stress eating, this program is for you and you need to check it out. The website is weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca forward slash SOS. Make sure you go check it out. Registration closes on October 3rd, which is Saturday. So don't miss your chance of getting your spot. So what is included? What have I been working on today? Well, last time I ran Stress Eating SOS, it was a six-week program. This time I'm expanding it to three months because I think that is actually much better. And so I'm adding in whole chapters on how to stop evening eating. Now, I know this is a huge one for a lot of you, and I can help with this. So if evening eating has been the thorn in your side, Stress Eating SOS will help you get through that. Uh, Whole chapters on how to deal with food cravings, how to put self-care into your life in a way where it actually fits and helps and doesn't just make you feel guilty how to deal with upcoming events where you're worried about what is going to happen and how your eating might change. And the best thing, I don't know if you did the math, but Stress Eating SOS is three months. We're starting in October. That means it's taking you through the holiday season. Now, if you deal with stress eating, you know that that is often a time where a lot of people really struggle. And that's why I kind of planned the start and end dates the way I did, is that if you're in Stress Eating SOS, you will have support throughout that holiday season. And I think that's really important to make this year different, to make this year not the year where you've got weight that you have to then work on getting off in January. All right, check it out. Weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca forward slash SOS. It's going to be awesome. And I really hope that I'll see you there. If you have any questions at all, just make sure you shoot me an email. I will respond. That's info at weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca. Today, what we are talking about is what medical school did not teach me about weight loss. And I thought this would be a fun topic because we all carry that weight of feeling because we're a physician that we should have figured out our weight, that we should know how to lose weight and how to keep it off. But you know what? It's actually the opposite. The way we were taught in medical school to work and work and not necessarily do self-care it kind of teaches you the opposite. It teaches you to find quick fixes to keep getting through. So that's why so many of us develop food as a quick fix to keep getting through our days. Now, I do think things are changing in medical school and there is more focus on self-care and things like obesity medicine are taught better than what they were taught when I was in medical school. But I still think it's worthwhile looking at, you know, what was I taught in medical school and 
did any of it actually help me in losing weight? Or do I use any of that knowledge when I'm working with my physician coaching clients or when I'm working with my obesity medicine patients? So to give you a little bit of background about myself, I actually started learning about nutrition and health and all that stuff when I was 16. I took a program to become a fitness instructor. So that was me back in the 90s teaching the step classes, if any of you remember that. (laughs) Super fun. Wearing spandex shorts, all the nice 90s stuff. Still, when I hear 90s dance music, it makes me want to do step routines because, man, I did a lot of them through my high school years. Anyways, but in those programs, we were taught basic nutrition and we were taught about exercise. We were taught about the calorie theory of weight loss, which would be calories in, calories out. And I loved learning about the body. And so when I went to university, I went through kinesiology. So again, in kinesiology, we were taught about healthy eating. I did university-level nutrition courses. We were taught about exercise, obviously, as part of kinesiology. And we were, again, taught the eat less, exercise more type approach to weight loss. And that's what I tried to do. So through university, I definitely had some weight issues, and that's what I was working on. I was trying to eat less, exercise more to compensate for them. And it worked up to a certain point, to be fair. Then in medical school, what did we get taught about weight loss? I was trying to brainstorm this and remember back, but really it was calories in, calories out. If you want to lose weight, you have to burn more calories than what you take in is basically the core of it. The focus in my medical school, at least, was very much on moderation and the Canada Food Guide. So if you don't cut anything out of your diet, just focus on eating everything moderately. And you know what? I have issues with that. We can talk about that later. I don't think moderation works for everybody. And I think the concept of moderation is based on a idea that we would be deprived if we chose not to eat certain foods. And yet that deprivation, as you know, from how we've talked about it, that deprivation comes from what you're actually thinking. It doesn't come from anything to do with the food you are, you aren't eating. And then I specifically remember lectures talking about Atkins diet because in the 90s, Atkins diet was having a resurgence. And we were taught that Atkins diet was bad, it wasn't sustainable, and that it may hurt your kidneys because you eat so much protein. Now, in retrospect, I recognize that that was probably misunderstanding of exactly what you eat in Atkins diet or lower carb approaches, because it's not really about just eating tons and tons of protein. It is a different approach. However, those are what I took away from medical school. That's what I learned. So eat less, exercise more, eat everything in moderation. Don't deprive yourself. Don't ask people to not eat certain foods and basically stick to the food guide. Now, how much of that actually worked for me personally in my weight loss journey? A very small percentage. Like I said, it's not that I didn't try the eat less, exercise more and following the food guide. I absolutely did. And I followed it to the point of, you know, like Whole30 type eating where all the starches in my diet were very whole food, high fiber based. And yet I still didn't really lose weight with that. And I still actually craved other carbohydrates when I was eating that way. So it didn't really work. And that's why I went through obesity medicine. I was wanting to help my patients and knew that telling them eat less, exercise more wasn't working. I didn't have anybody coming back and thanking me for that wonderful advice I'd given them. So I had to find other tools. And that's what led me to obesity medicine. At the same time, I was trying to figure out for myself because I knew as a physician that 
you know, at fast food probably wasn't healthy for me. And yet there I was feeling unable to stop eating it. I knew that as a physician, if I was at a party eating a whole bunch of chips that were in a bowl probably wasn't good for me. And yet I felt totally out of control when I was in that situation. And I was trying to problem solve and figure that out for myself. So ultimately, the combination of obesity medicine, plus then working on the life coaching tools that I talk about through all these podcast episodes is what led me to actually truly feel in control of my eating and feel in control in a way where I'm just at peace. Like, for example, I gave you the example of what I was like at a party if there was a bowl of chips. You could extrapolate that to pretty much any food back then. If there was tasty food, I felt totally out of control around it. This weekend, I was looking around. My daughters are getting old enough that they've started baking. So they had made waffles, and I got told they didn't want low-carb waffles because they didn't like the taste of low-carb waffles. So they wanted, and I said, okay, fine, you can make your own then. So they made waffles. Of course, being 10, they then left them out on the counter. It didn't bother me. There was not a moment where I actually thought about eating that waffle, nor was there time where I had to struggle to not eat it. And I think that's a really important piece that's totally different is it's not just that I was using willpower to not eat those waffles. I was just fine with them. They didn't bother me. I was able to just be by them and not be bothered. And I think that's what a lot of us are looking for in these different food situations. And the way I found that was through the mindset work and through the coaching tools. And for all of you who join me in the Stress Eating SOS program, that's what I want for you. That's what we'll be working on. Then later that day, my daughters decided they wanted to make cupcakes. So they made cupcakes. And then we had cupcakes sitting on our counter for the next couple of days. And again, there was never a time where I actually wanted to eat them. Like, you know, we talk about processing food cravings where you have to just like relax and let the craving be there. I didn't even have to do that. They just didn't bother me. And that's the difference of what I was taught in medical school to the skills that I use now and how I think what I use now is just miles ahead of what I was ever taught in medical school. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because if you're sitting there feeling guilty because you're a physician and you still struggle with some of this stuff, don't. You weren't taught the right tools. We weren't taught about emotional eating. Plus then medical school and residency exacerbated emotional eating for a lot of us. It was a time of life that we were out of control of our schedule, super busy, sleep deprived, and stressed because there was exams everywhere you turned around and you were trying to learn the skill of being a doctor that was so new to you. Of course your brain turned to food. That's totally fine. And it's totally fine that you weren't able to fix it right away. But I can help you fix it by listening to all the episodes in the podcast watching my Facebook Lives, all the free content out there, you can get a lot out of there. Or if you just want more focus support, either reach out to me for a private one-on-one coaching or join the Stress Eating SOS group. But you don't have to keep doing this alone is the take-home point that I want you to have from this episode. Okay, what did medical school not teach me? How did I go from what I was taught in medical school to where I am now, where I can be around waffles and cupcakes and all the other things and just not be bothered by it? So number one, medical school did not teach me that what I eat changes my experience of hunger. So I remember very clearly when I first started on lower carb, I realized, oh, so many aspects of what I thought was just like internal defects in me with what food I craved and how strongly I craved it 
was actually related to the food I was eating. Because when I cut the carbs out or drastically reduced them, so many of those cravings just went away. So I realized that I had always thought all along that it was just me and some internal weakness regarding food that made me always crave these foods. And it wasn't till I actually got rid of the sugar and the processed carbohydrates that I realized, you know what, a large piece of it was what those foods actually did to my body. That was really helpful because that was the first time in my weight loss journey where I didn't take full blame and full ownership of what my weight and my eating was like. I realized that actually there may be other factors at play that's making me want to eat the way that I do. Number two was my food cravings have nothing to do with me. (laughs) And again, this was something that I always held on that when I had food cravings, when I felt out of control with food, I felt that was a direct reflection on me in some way, that it meant something about what I was trying to do, that it meant something about my chance of future success with what I was trying to do. And what I've learned over the years is that it's not. The food cravings are my brain trying to solve some sort of problem. Most often that problem is stress. It's not that there's a defect in me. It's just the path my particular brain has chosen to try to solve these problems with. So other people have other ways. Other people, you know, drink more. Other people gamble. Other people do more shopping as a method of dealing with the stress and the other problems that your brain wants to deal with. My particular brain really likes to use food to deal with it. And once I learned that, that it wasn't about me and this craving, that that wasn't actually the issue, that there was something else going on that I needed to work on and, and figure out for my brain, then it got so much easier. But while I was hung up thinking that that craving meant something, it really slowed me down and it made me feel really lousy. Like I, you know, beat myself up. I blamed myself back then about the fact I was craving the junk food again and I knew I shouldn't be eating it. So recognizing that these food cravings actually don't really have much to do with you as an individual. They're just the way your particular brain is trying to solve some sort of issue. So what you need to do then is play the detective role and figure out what that issue is so that you can find other ways for your brain to solve it. That's where the thought work comes in because then you can use the thought work to solve it, to work on the stress or the anxiety or whatever it is that's bothering you that's driving the food cravings so that the food craving just never really materializes. It just kind of fades away and just doesn't bug you as much anymore. The third thing that medical school did not teach me about weight loss is that being healthy goes so far beyond what I eat. And I think, you know, as physicians, we all know this, right? But do we all do it for ourselves would be the question. I was very focused on I need to be healthy. And honestly, initially... My route to healthiness, this was in university, was that, okay, I'll just exercise regularly. Like I, you know, taught aerobics, I ran, I did all that stuff. So I'll just exercise regularly and then I can eat whatever I want. That, by the way, does not work. (laughs) I've tried it as an experiment. You don't need to try it. I did it for you. It doesn't work. And it doesn't improve health, obviously. And I understand now how important what we actually eat is to our health. But there's other things that influence our health too. And if we focus on these other areas of improving our health, it makes it easier to be more in control of your eating and ultimately lose the weight. So number one is self-care. 
Now, we as physicians are not good at taking time for ourselves. We feel guilty about it. There's always something else we should be doing, let's face it. And yet, taking even just a little bit of time for yourself can make such a difference in your life and in your days and ultimately in your eating. And so self-care, trying to prioritize it as a way of taking care of yourself as an individual, I think is really important. But if that's hard for you, then think of it as prioritizing it as a way of taking care of yourself as a caregiver. Because if you aren't healthy and if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of all the other people in your life. You can't take care of all your patients. You can't take care of your family, your kids, your parents. All the people in your life that you want to be taken care of don't get as much of you when you're not caring for yourself. Now, I think that's a really important point because we feel guilty about taking time out to do stuff for ourselves because we feel that it's taking us away from the people we're caring for. What if taking that time for yourself actually gave more of yourself to the people that you're caring for? I think that's really true. Ask yourself, who benefits if you take a bit of time for yourself? Who else would benefit from that? That often makes it a little bit easier to put it into your life. Another thing for being healthy beyond just what you eat is stress management. We chronically function under a level of stress and We know that that's not healthy, that's evidence-based, that chronic stress is not good, and yet we do it to ourselves. And so it's linked to self-care, but finding ways to manage your stress so that you're not always under that chronic level of stress, so you're not always slightly in the fight-or-flight mode, will improve your health. Again, the biggest way that I found that's worked for me is the thought work, because when I manage this through thought work, I don't have to change a bunch of stuff in my life. I can still have busy days, I can still be on call, but I can change how stressed I am about it just by working on what I think about it. And then fitness for enjoyment. So exercise is healthy. We know that, again, evidence-based. The problem is we often use exercise as a bit like a weapon in our weight loss journey where we feel like we're not losing weight fast enough or feel like we overeat, and then we decide we are going to exercise to compensate for it. So we're going to work out a little bit more. We're going to work out a little bit harder to make up for what we ate. Now, that never works. It doesn't compensate for what you ate. I already talked about it. I tried it. I've done that experiment. It doesn't work. But what it also does is exercise becomes less enjoyable because it becomes this thing where you're having to make up for some defect, some fault of yours. What I prefer for health perspective is to view exercise as doing it because it's good for you and because you enjoy it. So find ways of exercising that you actually truly do enjoy. Find ways of exercising that feel replenishing. It doesn't mean you have to work out super, super hard because some days maybe working out super, super hard isn't replenishing. Some days it might be, for sure, but it it isn't always. Some days, maybe going for something easier, going for a walk, going for a nice slow run, doing a bit of yoga, something gentle for yourself might actually be more replenishing and therefore might actually help your overall health. So viewing exercise not as a weight loss tool, but as a way to care for yourself and to feel better emotionally and physically, I think is the best approach. Then the fourth and final thing I did not learn in medical school about weight loss is that the best way to manage my weight long-term is to be compassionate to myself. 
that never factored into the weight loss discussions in medical school. And yet it's so important. And it's what I spend most of my time in obesity medicine talking about because we are programmed to do the opposite. We are programmed to be hard on ourselves, to be tough on ourselves, to try to get through with tough love. It just doesn't work. It takes so much longer and it feels so uncomfortable and so hard when you're being hard on yourself. You can accomplish more with more ease and with less time by being compassionate with yourself. Now, I know that's a hard idea to swallow for a lot of people. I know that when I talk about being compassionate and being nice to yourself throughout the weight loss process, caring for yourself now, regardless of what your weight is, Caring for yourself, even if you've perceived that you've overeaten or that you may have messed up and being compassionate and caring, even in those settings, a lot of people struggle with that because they feel that that compassion leads to permissiveness. What really happens is the tough love leads to overeating when you have emotional eating. You are tough on yourself. It makes you feel horrible. When you feel horrible, what do you want to do? You want to eat. So then you overeat and then you're tougher on yourself and you feel horrible and it becomes a big, big cycle. If you overeat and you're compassionate and think in a way that develops compassion for yourself, how do you show up when you're compassionate? You're probably more likely to do something that cares for yourself and that might include eating healthy. It might not always, that's important to know, you know, nobody's perfect, but being compassionate will get you much further than the being tough on yourself. So... Wherever you are in this journey, however far you have to go, however many detours you feel you have taken, be compassionate with yourself. It'll get you there faster. All right, send me any comments or questions to info at weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca. And if you're enjoying the podcast, remember to hit subscribe so that you get all the new episodes right away. We will talk to you later. Have a fantastic week. And I hope that I see you guys in the Stress Eating SOS program so we get more of a chance to actually work together on all of this. It's going to be fantastic. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye.